You're listening to the Exhibitionist Podcast, hosted by Nicola Reader and brought to you by InspiringExhibitors.com and ProExtra, a wholly owned subsidiary of 12th Man Solutions Limited. Hi there and welcome to episode 28 of the Exhibitionist Podcast. I'm your host, Nicola Reader, and very shortly we will be handing over to our conversation with Adam Parry ahead of Event Tech Live opening its doors later this week. So thinking back to the last episode of the podcast, and if you tuned in, you know we were heading for um, a Brexit exit and also hopefully England winning the Rugby World Cup. Well, two weeks on and neither of those two things have happened, so hope you're not too gloomy this Monday afternoon and hopefully over the next couple of weeks we will find out exactly what's going to be happening uh, with the general election and Brexit and therefore we'll come back in the new year and talk about what the implication could be for exhibitions when we know a little more for definite what's going to be happening. Just before I hand over to our conversation with Adam... I was reflecting on a video we were shooting for the Department for International Trade last week. We are part of their virtual export manager program whereby anybody who is going to an exhibition overseas can contract our services to help them plan or execute that exhibition and get the very best returns from it. And the DIT had asked us to participate in a video where they were talking about the benefits of employing a consultant, how their program can help businesses in the UK. But they asked me the question about what makes a good consultant and what should organisations be thinking about before they decide who to work with? I thought this was a really tough question, actually, because as a consultant, which is a word I really hate because it sums up those images of people taking your money and telling you what you already know. But it's really difficult to think, well, what does make a good consultant? Because it will be different for every organisation depending on what you want to get out of the project. But in relation to exhibitions, so many of us work with consultants day in, day out, whether that's around stand design, whether that's around marketing, project management, operations management. So how do you know what to pick when you're looking for the right consultant for whatever task it is that you want completing by a freelancer or somebody working independently? And what I came up with really was um, probably not surprising from me, but it came back to It's all about those objectives and the reason for why you're consulting or why you're recruiting a consultant in the first place and being really clear about what you want that consultant to achieve. I think it comes down to that brief and being really clear about what's the problem that you've got, how do you think it could look like when it's solved, but not necessarily having your own idea about what the solution is. I know with some clients we've worked with where They tell you the problem, tell you how they want it solved, and it's their method or no method. You kind of feel like you're shortchanging them because why are they paying you to do it when they know what they want to do already? Why wouldn't they just do it themselves? That's kind of project management, not consultancy. So once you have got that brief in terms of what you're hoping to achieve or what you would like a consultant to look at and the problem that needs solving, it's then just a case of matching somebody up with the credible expertise, the experience, somebody who has perhaps worked on similar things within the industry. But also sometimes a consultant from an external industry can bring some real insight and perception that you wouldn't get from somebody who's so involved in whatever area of the market you're working in. So it can be quite interesting sometimes to look outside of the usual portfolio of consultants who are already working with um, contacts of yours or with competitors in your industry. So consultancy is really hard and I think um, 
we sometimes can assume working with consultants that they will know everything that that we do about the project or the business or the service and they can't possibly do that and that's a good thing because they're not getting bogged down in the detail but they will need some direction from you as the client in terms of how things are developing what you're liking about what they're doing and what you're not liking about what they're doing and and as consultants I for one would say we're quite happy to hear about the things that you feel aren't quite working on the project or where it's not quite going in the direction that you feel it should because if we know then we can change things during the development of that project and that work to make sure we get you the right end result. It's much more difficult to get to the end of a project and then be told that it was wrong and that you knew it was wrong halfway through but didn't want to say anything rather than actually finding out halfway through that perhaps it's not quite in the right direction and let's take a look at doing something differently. That's when we can produce brilliant work, not when we've got to the end of it. So I just thought it was an interesting question from the Department for International Trade. Um, We have a lot of clients that come to us um, via their virtual export manager program. So not available in every region. I appreciate that. But if you're looking to do some international exhibitions, it's definitely worth getting in touch with your local DIT international trade advisor and seeing if they offer a similar sort of program where you can get some funding um, for your consultancy project. But more importantly, you can... uh, find their roster of consultants that they have quality checked for want of a better word to make sure that they um, ascribe to certain standards that they believe are um, suitable and reputable so it minimizes that risk for you in picking a consultant. So I'm going to pass over now to our conversation with Adam Parry who as I mentioned is the director of Event Tech Live. Event Tech is a hugely dynamic sector within the exhibitions industry and one that constantly evolves and covers everything from facial recognition, VR, AI, lead capture, giant eye tabs, translation, every other bit of tech that hits an exhibition from right before the show show doors open to the end when people are following up with those contacts that they've made. The doors to Event Tech Live open on Wednesday this week and we will be on the show floor. So please enjoy this conversation with Adam Parry. On this week's episode of the Exhibitionist Podcast, we are delighted to be joined by Adam Parry, who is the director of Event Tech Live. So welcome to the show, Adam. Yes, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, it's an honour. I've, I've listened to this podcast for a while, so I'm glad it's finally my turn to come on to it. Brilliant. And I know people are looking forward to digging into your brain and finding out about all things that are uh, event tech and trendy at the moment. So we will get to that very shortly. But just before we start talking tech, do you want to just give us a bit of background about your experience in the exhibitions industry or the live event industry and your current role? Sure. So maybe like many other people, I've fallen into or me and my business partner have fallen into organising events. Um, you know, we, we've we worked together for 15 plus years now um, and predominantly in publishing. Uh, so the publication that runs and owns Event Tech Live is Event Industry News and obviously have an audience and, and what better way to, to leverage that audience or to engage with that audience than through events, right? Most publishing companies end up doing some form of event, whether that be an award ceremony, a conference, an exhibition, if you're crazy enough to try and organise one. Um, so that, that's how we kind of came into it. We, we, we really fell into it based on being able to see through our publication an interest around a certain topic through our readership. Um, we are a technology company. We like to think of ourselves as a technology first company at Event Industry News. 
and, and using the tools that we kind of have there, we saw a huge interest around event technology. And I suppose it's some way my own self-indulgence is, is technology in general. So it, the kind of two kind of went hand in hand. So that's how we've ended up with um, Event Tech Live and the Event Technology Awards very much by chance, I think is probably the best way to describe it. And what a brilliant way if you find something that you're really passionate about in terms of tech to be able to actually bring it into the work that you're doing in a really meaningful way as well. So kind of win win. Yeah. I think probably what also put us very favourably is that because the publication is focused on how exhibitions are managed and delivered and through that have access to some great minds that I can quiz about what the best way to do things is, um, that has given us a lot of, uh, I suppose, groundwork that we didn't have to go through and, and do the hard way. Um, we've been able to tap into the, the the great minds in our industry and kind of propel ourselves a little bit fa- faster and a little bit further, I suppose, than maybe somebody without any connections within the event space or anything like that would have been able to as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, event tech, we hear about all the time through all the magazines and the comments on social media and blogs, and everybody's talking about it. So we're gearing up for Event Tech Live in just a couple of weeks. Tell me, what is the most exciting bit of tech that you're seeing being used in the exhibitions industry at the moment? In the exhibitions industry, it's, it's interesting. There's probably more than one. It is really hard to focus. Um, I think, you know, some of the technology that exhibition organisers have had in their arsenal, in their toolkit for such a long time, platforms are now being created in order to to really get a holistic view on the data and the information. Um, So we we hear this term in marketing quite a lot of um, a a data-driven marketer. And I think the exhibition industry has now been able through analytical dashboards, through better integration and connectivity between these technologies, being able to make data-driven decisions about their events and exhibitions, and that could be from launches, it could be from um, offshoots, it could it could even be from co-locations or, you know, growth strategies, sales opportunities, all these types of things. I think within the exhibition market, for the exhibition organiser um, predominantly, I think those kinds of technologies um, are becoming the go-to things, the really trendy things in order to, to, to make a real big difference to the bottom line as an organiser. When it comes to an exhibitor, I suppose, um, well, the world's your oyster, really. I think one of the, the coolest things I've seen recently, which was a great data, data capture and lead capture exercise for an exhi- exhibition exhibitor, um, was a social vending machine. And, you know, we're all used to kind of interacting with vending machines. People know what you do with them. You go up to them, you put something in and you get something out, right? Uh, This particular um, exhibitor was using, I think, water through the day and then towards the end of the show kind of switched out for for alcoholic beverages, for beers and little bottles of wine and stuff. And they were telling me they generated over a thousand leads. Now, they're not hard qualified leads, but in terms of if you're at the right event and you know that predominantly your, your audience is there, it's a great way to, to kind of cast the net wide. And they were using kind of some social media activation as well. So I think it was like tweet for a drink or something. Um, so they got some added extra benefit on, on top of it. 
And, you know, this, the, the footprint of this thing was really small. It didn't take up huge amounts of space on the stand. Um, it was easy to set up. It was easy to wheel in and out. And you could just see people kind of walking past and they just got it straight away. They realized there was something in it for them and they were quite happy to hand over something in exchange for it. So in terms of like, you know, companies that are exhibiting at trade shows and kind of just want as many leads as possible, but then still use their sales team to kind of do the qualified stuff. That was a really interesting and really clever way to, to kind of do it with technology. It's really interesting to hear that because when we're talking to a lot of exhibitors that we work with about social media and how you use social media, it's like, well, we'll just say share our tweet or like our tweet. And it's like, what, why is a visitor going to do that? There's nothing really in it for them. So we're constantly trying to help exhibitors find the way that they create value for an audience above and beyond just saying, come and see us at Stand H43 because that, that's kind of fairly meaningless and not adding any value for, for a visitor. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think anything that's anything that can be used to attract visitors to your stand but doesn't need explaining is the way to go. There's another company called Giant iTab that have created their screens that just look like mobile phones. And they've done really well out of that by people just get, when you walk up to this screen, that you can touch it, you can interact with it, and there's something there for them to do. Where I've seen other exhibition stands at events have interactive touchscreens, you don't realise until somebody tells you you can actually engage and, t- and touch touch it. Um, so I think, yeah, anything that can be used to, to engage, um, you know, that, that passing traffic and, and pull people onto your stand and, and doesn't need somebody manning it or telling them what to do it is the best way to go, really. Absolutely. So we've talked there, interesting to hear your thoughts about um, text really helping in driving data decisions or, or decisions made on Insight. Where else in the exhibitions industry in general do you think tech's having the biggest impact on evolving and changing how we're all operating? It's an interesting one. I think I think that using technology now, we can reach a much bigger audience, a much wider audience without necessarily having to have all of that audience in the same place at the same time. You know, at Event Tech Live, I see it when we drive registration that we have some very loyal visitors that come year on, year out and, and engage with the show. But we also know there's a number of visitors that can't make it for whatever reason. You know, the, the work schedule that year just doesn't allow them. Maybe they're even working kind of internationally or, or they are international and it doesn't make sense for that particular year for them to pay for an airfare, etc. I think with the advent of technology and connectivity now, there's there's never a better time to leverage the content and, and the event and still provide an inclusive event to those people based in different parts of the world i also think if if used wisely i know there's this big conversation constantly within the exhibition market about you know cannibalizing your audience by live streaming and things like that but you know the way that it's funny isn't it like netflix is a typical example of how live streaming can work and capture a massive audience you don't necessarily need as a filmmaker to have a cinema now a physical place and i think if we can we can utilize you know, online interpretation, whether that be physical human people or actual technology now that's coming out with AI that can um, translate into multiple languages all at the same time with, without anybody physically having to do that translation. You know, live streaming technology is great. Multi-hub um, technology is great where you can actually have activation. So you can have one core event and then you can have satellite events happen at the same time in different locations. 
and kind of I saw it saw it recently actually. It wasn't an exhibition, but um, an organisation called SME Rush. Um, they conducted a, the first twenty four hour conference, um, which went from one location to the next within different time zones. So you kind of got continuity all the way through. And I think that's the kind of really interesting technology for show organisers as well, because then they can see where the pockets of density are with potential visitors and exhibitors if they were going to geoclone or do a new launch or something like that. Yeah, it's a really interesting one in terms of this kind of, do you live stream your content? Do you not? Because, you know, content's such a driver of getting visitors to events along with exhibitors. You know, if you're giving all that away free on on the internet or, you know, however, why would people come to the show? But I think surely that gives you the license to extend your show beyond three days. You know, it becomes an annual um, kind of umbrella recognition of whatever industry you're working in rather than just being a three-day event that you might get some people to, you might not because of really busy diaries. But if you can use tech to keep it going throughout the year and keep putting out content and, you know, repeating some of the, the live streams that you've done at the time, surely that's a way of growing your audience and encouraging people who missed it that they definitely need to be there the following year. I, I totally agree with that. I think exhibitions are evolving um, to be more than just those one or two days through the year where they engage with a large audience. I think there is quite a lot of competition now. You mentioned giving away content, but, but the internet is just a pool of free content. You know, lots of the content that we have maybe Event Tech Live is, is possibly available to find in lots of different ways through lots of different channels online. Um, you know, exhibitions thrived in a time without having to change where that wasn't a possibility. I think like last time I looked on YouTube, there was um, 3 million channels or something like that. And, and that just shows you how much content people are putting out. Now, some of that is not business related or B2B related, fair, fair enough. But, you know, before, if I went to, if I wanted to go and learn how to be, you know, an international lawyer or something like that, a trade show might be the way to go. But now there's probably somebody on YouTube or somewhere online kind of giving me that content for free just for an email address so they can try and sell me something else later. So... I think we I think I think technology is forcing the hand of evolution, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that should empower exhibition organizers to further, you know, grow and scale and, and provide value back to exhibitors and visitors as well. So thinking about um exhibitors specifically, one of the things we um often try and help warn exhibitors about is sometimes if they're talking to design stand design agencies and they've bought this really cool bit of kit and it's like oh you must use this on your stand it's amazing and actually it's not relevant it's not appropriate it's not really doing a job on the stand it's just a bit of cool tech so we try and encourage people not to use tech just for the sake of it and because it's cool but because it's part of your integral story and your proposition so where do you think event tech can play the most valuable role for exhibitors on their stand lead capture not enough, not enough exhibitors invest in the lead capture tools. Now, I know on the face of things with certain organisers, they are expensive, especially if you've got large teams. But they're one of the most oldest underutilised technologies, I think, at trade shows. So, you know, we, and we can see it at Event Tech Live, where we have a, an exhibitor who 
kind of goes, okay, I'm going to get lead capture for every member of staff on my, on my stand. One, in one particular instance, an exhibitor that's got seven members of staff last year achieved over 300 leads out of the show over the two days. Uh, and funny enough, they are a very tech-heavy, flashy provider of technology, but they, they kind of invested in this, in lead capture, and they outperformed so many of our... In fact, they actually outperformed the company that provided the lead capture, which was the funny thing in terms of, in terms of lead driver. You know, we, we, companies exhibit at trade shows for two main reasons, and that's marketing and sales, right? It's either to position themselves in the market with their message, with their brand, and engage with their customers and prospects, or to sell products later down the, down the road by filling up their lead funnel and then putting that into their marketing solution and converting that later. But yet, on our show, even I see it, that companies come and don't invest in the lead capture for all of their teams. So they're kind of sharing lead capture and they might miss leads. and they might. So we actually give it to all of our exhibitors for free. Um, that was a decision we made a long time ago. Just to go, here you go. There's no, there's no argument now on the on the cost. Just utilize it. And I, I, when I talk to a number of other companies and organizers, etc., that's that's probably one of the most underutilized but very fundamentally useful technologies that that doesn't get um, put into events. Um, there is a lot of technology that is for the sake of it. And, generally, and over recent years, it's kind of been like we need something in VR on our stand, which is really weird. You're kind of bringing people to a physical environment to then put them in a virtual environment where they could have done. I don't know. Um, VR still got its place and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a great technology. But yeah, I, I genuinely think it's not very exciting, but, but lead capture is one of those things that if I could hammer it into everybody that exhibited at an event, it would be learn how to use it, learn what the value is for you for that particular show. And anybody that's on your stand, buy it for them, if there is a, even if there is a charge. Yeah, we say this in so many podcasts, but again, I'm sitting here just nodding my head vigorously <laughs> going, yes, please listen to what Adam's saying. This, this is it. Because it is that whole kind of forget about your flashy touchscreen TVs and all the other bits of tech and the games and everything, you know, gamification and everything else that you're looking at. And, you know, actually just... If you're going to spend money on any tech at all, spend it on making sure that the whole reason you're there, you can actually follow through on with having that information to speak to people about. So I, thank you for sharing the message about lead capture. Yeah. It's one we continually hammer home. Um, so you touched on it there, and it's really interesting. I share your point about it's a little bit weird to be inviting people to a physical environment and then using VR. To me, it doesn't quite feel right. And I've seen, as we've walked the floor at a couple of shows where you've got people with big headsets on having a very personal, individual experience, but the whole purpose of them there is to have a face-to-face conversation. So I'm, I, I'm not sure about kind of VR in, in events yet, but tell me where you've seen either AI or augmented reality or virtual reality um, being used really well in exhibitions so far. Yeah, so th- there are some fantastic examples, and I think really it depends on a couple of things in terms of where you would use VR. So let's take uh, Farnborough International Air Show. You know, you could be an engine manufacturer, you could be a, a part within that engine manufacturer. And does it make sense for you to bring an aeroplane to the show and, and, and park that outside and, and pay for all that space to show them one small part? Probably not. And then that's where AR and VR can come into its own because you can then 
you know, with a very small space, still provide all that contextual information to visitors or your prospects by putting them in an environment where it can scale up to the size of a 747 or something like that. Or maybe you are an international um, hotel chain and you want to show somebody around your Las Vegas property and you're actually here physically in the UK, then again, that the VR technology can provide as best a close experience as you can of what it might be like to stand in that grand ballroom that you're thinking about living that conference um, without having to fly over to Las Vegas. So, you know, there's, there's actually quite a big thing for it around sustainability, you know, bringing people together in an environment, even for a physical conference itself, could be the way to go. But it really has to be, what are you trying to do? If it's, we can only physically show this through VR without it costing huge amounts of money to bring X, Y, and Z or, or build these huge stands, then I think that absolutely makes sense budget-wise. If it's just a stand attraction to give somebody a crazy experience to get them on your stand that's got nothing to do with your business, I'd say that's an absolute waste of money because the, comp- the person might walk away and go, oh, yeah, I had this crazy VR experience, but has, are they the buyer? Are they going to invest in your tech? Is it, is it totally disconnected from the rest of your message and stuff like that? So, yeah, it's got its place, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the big message loud and clear coming through on that one, it's about relevance to your proposition. If it makes sense to what you're doing and adds to part of your story, brilliant. If it's there just because somebody's told you it's cool, maybe not as relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of tech and personalization. I'm really interested to start thinking about how tech could play a role in just personalizing a visitor's journey throughout the whole show. So I'm thinking things like you scanning on your way in and then maybe the first stand you walk to, it's like, oh, Nicola, we had you down as our target you know, uh, visitor, although they'll say it much more sexily than that, I'm sure. Please come and speak to us. But how else do you see tech kind of helping with this whole personalization and personal experiences? Well, I think it can start way, way before an event. You know, we we tend to market as event organisers to a very similar set of people year on year. And I think we really, as organisers, start to having to learn um, to create personas, how to group people. Because personalisation on a very granular individual um, level is possible, but it's extremely difficult, takes a lot of money and a lot of time. Um, so, so by grouping people into personas, you can do some of that personalization based on knowing what a group certain what's going to resonate well with a certain group set of people. Um, in terms of in terms of the capabilities or what's possible as, as an attendee, I mean, we're using you know event tech we're using some geolocation technology this year to send personalized messages for people with the event app as they approach or um, walk to the venue on the day. Um, if it wasn't so much for GDPR at the moment, there would be a lot more possible that we could do because of facial recognition on site. My personal opinion is facial recognition is a fantastic technology. Um, it's still got some way to go. What's probably holding it back somewhat at the moment is just people's, how used to it people are. Um, it's actually in a lot of telephones, it's in Amazon stores now. But the use case, the, the benefit to the user is, is there right in front of them. They don't need to kind of understand why their face is being scanned. But in an event environment, it does seem a little bit more salesy, a little bit more creepy. But in terms of, of personalising your experience, it could be 
a welcome text message and a link to a voucher for a free coffee from a sponsor that is relevant to you, things like that. It could be walking up to a screen at one of the stages and rather being with a huge list of um, you know, information that you've got to kind of look through and decide what's relevant to you. It could talk to the pre-networking app that you've been using and going, hi, Nicola, based on you know, the three agenda items that you've put in your um, agenda for today, on this stage, this one session would be relevant to you at two o'clock. And a lot of the personalization, I think, for, for me is around making the most of people's time while they're at that event. Um, yes, events can run for two, three, four days, but most people haven't got two, three, four days to spend on them. It's about getting them to the right content, the right exhibitors and the right people in the shortest amount of time and making the most of their time on, on site. So there's, there's the list is huge of what you could do around personalization. I think what, one of the things that we're doing at Event Tech Live, we, are, we have partnered this year with a company called Grip. What, what Grip has really been good at doing is they use artificial intelligence. So when you register for the event, um, as long as you okay, as long as you agree to be on Grip, they pull your information through and they send you a, an email to activate your account. And then it does some work in the background to go, okay, so Nicola's given us this information. So based on that, we think these people would be of interest to you. But what it does is, as you start to in, engage with it and go, yes, Adam's of interest and Paul's of interest, but, but Steve's not, it starts to learn your intent and actually gives you better recommendations and more personalized content on visitor, exhibitor and content. So even that pre-show is a way to, to kind of personalize the the experience of people rather than showing them everything and mass marketing them, just give them what they want. Yeah, and I think that whole um, experience for visitors of trying to help you understand exactly what is the priority for you on a show floor because you know we're out at exhibitions every week either as, as, as exhibitors ourselves or as visitors and if you just walk in and you've suddenly got two, three thousand exhibitors at some of these really big shows, we are the geeks that will sit and do some work beforehand and go on the website and, and kind of look at all the exhibitors and work out where we want to go. But a lot of visitors don't. And you kind of just walk in and you end up seeing 5% of exhibitors and probably the ones that aren't most relevant to you. So the more you, we can do with that pre-show marketing to, for visitors to really try and match them up and those B2B matchmaking platforms that are starting to happen are just brilliant, I think, at helping you. Yes, it's a collective audience all interested in the same thing, but it's still a flipping big audience. So trying to just, you know, reduce it a little bit and make it a little bit more relevant for you. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Exciting time. So, um, so you are Mr. Tech and you know everything about <laughs> tech and have been involved for years. So if I was an exhibitor and I was sitting down and thinking, right, I really feel like I should have some tech involved in my show somehow, but I don't really know where to start. What would you advise me not to do in terms of using tech on my stand or in my whole trade show campaign? What, 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 would, I, what, would, what would I tell you not to do? I would tell you not to, for huge amounts of budget, at doing lots of different things uh, and try and do as much as possible. I, I'd probably pick one, one objective. Um, what is the objective at this event and who are we trying to attract to our stand or what kind of coverage and leverage are we trying to achieve by, by doing that? Um, and it comes down to, who, again, who are you trying to attract to the stand? If you're trying to attract press or the visitors or other exhibitors, 
there's there's lots of different ways to go but i think what what i would try and do is start off with one small thing that the whole team can get involved in really understand really easily and really get behind and do do really well i think if there's only one person on a stand that can deal with an activation deal with a piece of technology then it starts to really lose some of its power because other team members can't get behind it or or use it with the visitors and other other people at the show as well. Um, I'd, I'd also not necessarily look at spending any money to start off with. Um, there is lots and lots and lots of technology out there that is for free, that can be used on trade shows, um, on, on stands. Um, there's creative ways of using things you know, little robots are a cool way is like a little stand attraction to, to get people involved, handing drinks and things like that. That's a, that's a, that's a cool little way of doing something. It, it really comes down to, it's, it's hard to pin like one thing down because it really, I really have to understand the objective of that exhibitor. Um, one, of the, one of the good things or one of the recommendations I can give, anybody that's exhibiting a show, go to two or three other shows before your show, or have a walk around as a visitor and see what some of the other exhibitors are doing, see what catches your eye, um, see what draws you into their stand. And if that's a piece of technology, then have a chat to them about how good it's been for them. Has it been successful? Has it been something that they've used for the first time or is it something they've repeated because it's it's achieved what they were they set out to do? Then utilize that. The, the best best ideas are the ones that you steal rather than trying to come up with it yourself. So that's the way that I'd go. Oh, obviously come to Event Tech Live, have a walk around, and then you've got a shopping list. But um, yeah, it's, it really comes down to what the objective is, and then you kind of work back from the tech, the tech back from there. Yeah, and that is such a brilliant piece of advice to go, actually go right outside of your industry, go and look at something completely unrelated in terms of an exhibition, because then you won't, your head won't be fixed on, well, that wouldn't work for my product, or, you know, just... If you're working in windows, go and have a walk around, a, I don't know, a, a, a food show or something that's completely unrelated and just see what, what's going on. So, yeah. Um, so although we're talking uh, on the, I think it might be the 21st of October today when we're recording this, it's actually going to go out to our listeners the day before um, Event Tech Live opens. So tell me about, as a real key stakeholder, director of that show, what do you get most excited about? What are you nervous about? And... On Friday, when you're sitting back with a beer after Event Tech Live's finished, what does success look like for you? Um, okay, do you want to start with that bit? <laughs> um, su- success success looks like, if I'm being very with my business hat on, success looks like a rebook. Um, you know, we invite our exhibitors to, um, you know, secure their locations and their spaces and, and all that kind of thing for the following year based off their experience over the, the last couple of days. Now, some of those are, those exhibitors have exhibited with us for, you know, two, three, four or more years, and they don't even need to make that decision at that point because they've already done it, kind of. They, they know the show works for them. But as a, as a show organiser, you know, people really do give you their feedback with their checkbook. You know, if they're reinvesting for the following year, you know they've had a good show over the last two um, last two days for us in particular. Um, so yeah, if, if we've got a good rebook and and nobody's come and really kicked off at us, then there's not much that we can't solve on on site. So we don't tend to have that. But yeah, 
as a show organizer, I'd say the, the rebook is a is a sign of success. Um, pre-show, what do I get nervous about? Every year, doors opening. You know, as a show organizer, this year, many people might know this, but you know, you have to be considerate of things like how old the queen is, and whether, um, you know, if unfortunately at some point she will pass away, then there is what's called national mourning, and everything shuts down for a week. Um, so, if you're an event organizer, organize an event over the next couple of years. Please do talk to your, even if you're an exhibitor, talk to your insurance companies about what's called national mourning insurance. Because, like I say, if if she passes away, she's the only person that stops the whole country working. Literally, everything shuts down. Um, so that's that's one of the things at the moment that that kind of is just in the back of our head of it could come at a time when we can't open doors, venues not opening its doors, exhibitors don't get an event and we have to look to, to readjust. I suppose on a more upbeat side, it's just if people are going to turn up, you know, we've got, an, we, we, we organize a free event and, and there's nothing to, to, to force people to, to come to the show. So we have to put on great content, have great exhibitors, have great tech on show. But um, yeah, that does, when those doors open at 9, 9.30 in the morning, you're always stood at the top of, of, of the entrance at the registration, just making sure that, that there's actually people waiting to come in or that start to flow in. Um, what am I excited about at our show for the first time this year is probably um, we are using some new technology to do some new stuff and some we're doing some experiments at the show this year, which is really exciting, which we'll hopefully be able to kind of put out back to the industry afterwards to show kind of what those experiments meant and what came of them. Um, on a really fun side, we've got a selfie coffee machine going off so people can go and get a free coffee with the with the photo on it. That's That should be cool. We have lots of stuff that's exciting at Event Tech Live. Launchpad competitions always a really highlight point. That's, that's an opportunity for 20 of our startups to kind of get their moment to to shine and speak in front of some very influential people and, and some very influential organizers. Um, so that's always a really nice part of the show as well. Um, there's a bunch of things really. Wow, there was so much in there. So <laughs> I just wanted to um, to pick up from that National Morning Week. Uh, who thought that would be coming out during a podcast about exhibitions? But it makes perfect sense, actually. I would never even have considered that. And in our lifetimes, we've never experienced that morning of a national monarch. So how, yeah. how would we even think of it? So great bit of advice there for anybody listening. So thank you for relating us to that one. Um, and I think the other bit I really wanted to pick up on was your success in terms of rebook. And we often hear from clients of ours who are exhibitors saying, oh God, all the event organizer wants them to think is just rebook. That's all they're interested in on the last day of a show. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, of course they are. They're a business. They're not a charity. So they are there to make a profit. You know, that that's the transaction that happens. Let's not shy away from that. But if you feel comfortable enough to rebook because you've had a good show, met good people, got qualified leads, think you can get some business out of it, well, then that's a good thing. So the event organiser wins because they've got their rebook, but you also win because, you know, it's a tactic that works for, for your show and your company. So there's kind of, there's no loss in that. It's win-win both sides. So I think there's a, like, you know, exhibitors sometimes feel a little bit worked up about, oh, they want me to do is rebook. It's like, yeah, but that's a good thing, you know, for you to yeah. be comfortable. And if you don't feel comfortable rebooking, I think our advice would always be just talk to the organisers, tell them what didn't work, tell them that what, what wasn't good enough for you, what you need to see differently. And nine times out of ten, they can go, oh, we didn't realise that, we'll put that right for next year for you. It's, 
it's not usually something that can't be overcome just through a conversation I think yeah, and I think there's there's possibly some advantages to to rebooking on site. I mean, mo- most shows have a incremental price increase or or something that might possibly mean a little bit more investment for people that that don't rebook on site. Um, but I think one of the one of the biggest things that I I see at our show is a benefit of rebooking, and we and we do have a cooling off period for our show. Some some show organisers don't. We do have, a, you know, sleep on it for a month. And if you're not happy at that point, then, you know, we'll shake hands on it and, you know, have a coffee or a beer or something and talk to you about why. But um, I, I see a lot of people have actually used it to better position themselves within the show or reposition themselves in the show. Um, not everybody has the ability to book that far in advance on a show that they have the, the pick of the crop of locations or or sponsorships or, or anything that's going off at the show. You know, I've, I've, got a, I've got a couple of exhibitors who are booking in even now. They're, they're having to go with whatever we've got left. And that's not always necessarily the most advantageous for them. Not that there's any bad position in a show, but they, might ne- they just might want to be next to a company they work with next year. And through a rebook process, those opportunities come up you know somebody next to you doesn't necessarily rebook on site so you can grow into keep your current stand grow into the space next to it have a bigger location next year without having to move that's a rebook advantage um you know and and um i hope none of my exhibitors listen to this but you know use it it's a two-way negotiation um not always necessarily on price but on value or added value that the show organizer can put into there to secure your business that far in advance and for us we always like obviously people that that rebook in advance uh, uh, rebook on site because it gives us a full 12 months to work with them as a partner on a program understand their objectives what's going to change about their business next year is there anything different that we can do to support them and it gives us an opportunity to put a lot more behind them as a as a company in order to make that next year so successful for them as well. Companies that book two weeks out from the show, there's only so much we can physically do. And, and that's a really crucial point is that, you know, as much as exhibitors will have objectives, you'll want to help them meet those objectives as well because that just means a more successful show and the more chance you have and the more time you have to be able to help them achieve that and get involved in all of the pre-show marketing and all the initiatives and all the exhibitor training and everything else that you do, the better. So, you know, you're kind of not winning anything by thinking, oh, I'll put it off and make them work hard for my money. It's like, well, kind of, you might get a few pounds off your your rate possibly, but actually it's the value equation you're going to lose out in terms of value. So, um, absolutely. So it's been brilliant speaking to you and finding out about all things event tech. If you could work on or visit any exhibition anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? Oh, wow. Um, Any exhibition. Can I have a time machine? You can have a time machine. Yes, indeed. I'd probably go to the first ever exhibition. First ever. Do we even know what that was? It was the, was the Royal Horticultural Exhibition in London um I'll, I'll have to we'll have to look that up and put it in the show notes but yeah i mean we we have this conversation quite a lot in in the industry how much has an exhibition actually actually changed and 
I just want to go back to prove that I don't think it's changed a huge amount. You know, a venue with a lot of space in it and lots of companies that come together to, to you know, for a couple of days to, to show the wares and engage with people. I'd, I'd like to go back in time and just, just see the first, first exhibition that was ever organised and uh, just see if it is any different to what it's like today. Yeah, I, it would be amazing. And I think you're probably not wrong in your kind of assumption that it's probably not that different. And although they used to last for kind of weeks at a time, I think exhibitions evolved, didn't they? Well, you know, we, we struggle now with two or three days, but there are some that used to go on for like two weeks at a time. So you can imagine yeah. you every single day with that smile and high heels and, you know, trying to talk to strangers for eight hours for two weeks. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Brilliant. So, um, so this is going out the night before the doors open at Venter Life. So we, um, at this point, wish you the very best of luck. But if people still want to register, tell us about where it is, when it is, and how they can uh, register for that. Yeah, sure. So Ventilate Live is free to register for, um, even on, on the show day. So you can turn up and, and just register at the door. Um, we host our event in an old building in London called the Old Truman Brewery. Um, it is... 31 Hanbury Street, um, don't ask me for the postcode, I think it's E1, something like that. Um, but it's a really cool venue. We, we, it's, it's not your traditional exhibition venue. It's, it's a very old, quirky building. We use multiple rooms across, across the venue to host our, our exhibition in. We don't have carpet, which is a shock to a lot of people when they come in, that there's no carpet in exhibition. Um, so, yeah, come along. And if, if you can't make it, sign up to the newsletter. Um, because we tend to put most of the content out per show so you can have a look through all the educational content all the speakers and all that kind of stuff that we we have and at least engage with that and hopefully we'll get along get you along in 2020. Brilliant and Adam if people want to get in touch with you personally can they follow you on Twitter or LinkedIn with you? Yeah, they can um, link in LinkedIn um, is Adam Parry uh, forward slash Adam Parry and um, on Twitter, my handle is at Punchtown Perry. Punchtown Perry. Yeah, yeah. It's a nickname given to me when I used to do um, MMA. Okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> well thank you so much for all your contribution today it has been fantastic talking to you wish you all the very very best of luck for event tech like live and no doubt we will speak to you again in the future and thank you very much for having me on hopefully you got some great insight from adam there from the world of event tech and i know the one thing that i heard loud and clear was that the most important piece of tech that any exhibitor can deploy is that lead capture and whether that's through a device that the organisers give you, whether it's through an app, whether it's something much more sophisticated, it really doesn't matter as long as you're doing something with those leads to make sure you can follow up with them. So if you're on the floor and you see us around at Event Tech Live this week, then please do say hello. And our next episode of the podcast will actually be something a little bit different. We're going to be out speaking to lots of the exhibitors and speakers from Event Tech and getting their views on what the latest technology is, what's really exciting that's happening in the industry, and how they think their piece of tech can be most useful for exhibitors. So watch out for that uh, dropping in just a couple of weeks. As always, you can get in touch with us in the usual way via the website at www.inspiringexhibitors.com. Our latest blog is up at the moment, which is all about how we change the conversation with some younger pupils about event management. It's not always seen as a lucrative or attractive career. 
perhaps sometimes by parents of pupils and we were this was really brought to life for us when we spent some time in a couple of schools recently talking to pupils who hadn't even thought of event management didn't even know what events were as a potential career for the future so check that blog out on over on the website you can also pick up a copy of the exhibitionist book and the project manager file over there where we'll also be making that donation to the national literacy trust for every purchase that you make Hope you have a good couple of weeks planning for whatever your next exhibition is. If you need any more hints and tips, please do get in touch and happy exhibitioning. Hop over now to inspiringexhibitors.com to subscribe to our newsletters, blogs and future podcasts, keeping you up to date with industry insight. While there, you can also find out more about our new book, The Exhibitionist, Inspiring Trade Show Excellence. Once again, thank you for listening.